You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are on to, uh, we are finishing up our stewards series. And uh, this has been a good series. I've really enjoyed wrestling. as a sermon club, just over what do we want to talk about? What do we think is important? What does God's, God's word say? What's the big picture? Uh, what are the big picture issues that we need to uh, wrestle through and, and talk through? And um, it's been a fun, fun experience for, for, for me. I think Logan's enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it too. We said that there's these five areas that, first and foremost, creation. We're called to steward creation. Everybody, whether you're a Christ follower or not, like that, that was commanded to all the human race to steward the creation. How are we doing <laughs> as a human race? Uh, and then resources. Forty percent of uh, of Christ's uh, parables are about resources and 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 that there's accountability, and we'll, we'll look at another parable today, maybe the most challenging parable of all the parables, honestly, as, as one uh, theologian put it. And then we recall to steward ourselves, relationships, but we don't want to forget about the gospel. In fact, maybe we should put that at the front of the line, because if we're stewarding the, stewarding the gospel well... The overflow should be we steward everything else well. Our relationships should be different because we're stewarding, stewarding the gospel. The way we look at ourselves, the way we value ourselves, the way we uh, want to make sure that we're whole and, and, uh, and moving forward and growing and maturing, that sh- should come out of stewarding the gospel too. Resources, like... We'd want to be faithful with our resources if, if we're stewarding the gospel well and, and then creation, recognizing God as the creator of everything should cause us to go, wait a minute, how am I stewarding creation around me? And we started off with the, uh, the parable of the talents. We said there's a, three guys one with five talents, roughly $5 million, one with two talents, roughly $2 million, and one with one talent, roughly $1 million. This was no chump change that they were stewarding. This was something valuable and, and, and precious. And, and when we think about creation and, and resources and, and ourselves, like how much does Christ value us? this much. How much do I value myself sometimes? Uh, Not this much. Maybe more like this much some days. 
Uh, how much do I value relationships? Well, some relationships I really value, but others I'm like, eh. And so we talked about these talents and that fear impacts stewardship. In the ways that we fear God, in the way we question God's heart for us, in the way we allow these lies to creep in this, the, that miscommunicates who God is in relation to us, that will impact our stewardship. And the antidote is faith. We've got to take God on his word. It's about what, what he says, that he is who he is, who he says he is, that he does what he says he does. And, and, and we, gotta, we need to grow in that, right? And pride. Pride impacts stewardship. If, if I'm trying to be number one, then is Jesus going to have words that put Jesus in my life? If I'm always trying to be number one to, to everybody around me, right? And the antidote is humility. There's uh, one more major issue that we need to look at, and we're going to look at that this week through another parable. But I want to take you back to Matthew 6. Uh, Logan brought this into the conversation. Uh, I thought uh, Logan was uh, brilliant for bringing this uh, into this conversation because it, it is such a uh, key issue in, in how, we, how do we view the world what do we see when we look out there? And, and so Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, in the Greek, quite literally evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, we said that what we know is that for centuries, the Jews have had this conversation about, the, about a, a good eye and an evil eye. Here's the Hebrew words. Ayin hara and ayin tova. Ayin hara, greedy, stingy, self-centered, blind to the needs of others. If you have an evil eye, the darkness is great in you. And, and, and you, your perspective, it's not that, that there's not problems out there in the world, but you just see negativity. And, and, and you probably know people like that. Every, everything that they talk about, everything they discuss, everything is negative, you know, negative Nancy's, right? I don't know why we give Nancy such a hard time, but it, it rhymes, so maybe... Uh, Ayin tova, good. This word tov is, is used in Genesis 1, seven times. God talks about creation being good. If God says creation is good, what should we think about creation? Faith would say we're going we're gonna to call it good too. It's generous, other-centered, recognizing needs. But Jesus does something interesting in this Matthew 6 passage. He, he changes a word, and when he changes the word, you got to pay attention. So let, let's go on to the next slide. So like I said, in the Greek, poneros means evil. You'd expect that. You'd expect them to use the word evil. But 
it's not good. Our, my NAS, which I think I, I typically really like the NAS translation, it says, if you have a clear eye, they're trying to make it easy for us as goyim, as, non, as Gentiles, to understand what Jesus is saying here. But the actual word is single. Why did Jesus change this word to single? That's going to matter. That's going to matter. We're going to get back to that question later on. So let's look at uh, let's look at our parable. And we did not know that this was the hardest parable in the scriptures to to wrestle through when we started down this path. And and then I started I I spent so many hours reading this parable this week. I don't know. <laughs> I was like. And, and listening to uh, what's the what's the guy's name? We don't know. Uh, we, we will. Uh, he, he's the guy, Bailey. Kenneth Bailey. Kenneth Bailey. You could you could Google him on YouTube. If you're looking at uh, at a Luke passage and you're wondering what in the world is going on here, Kenneth Bailey, probably 25, 30 years ago, re- recorded these videos. And they're available on YouTube. He's amazing. He's brilliant. Yeah, I'll just, I'm grateful for brilliant guys like that for single cell organisms, you know, like me, that help me understand. But this is what uh, Luke records in chapter 16. Now, he was saying to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Not exactly what you want out of a manager, is it? And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. This is a pucker moment, right? The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Repetitious much? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. His name is Rob, apparently. (laughs) Uh, I know what I shall do, that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. Um. We will talk about this in footnotes. There's some interesting repetition here. Seven times of the same form of a Greek word is used seven times. It's almost like Jesus wants you to pay attention to this. Um, but we'll talk about that in footnotes. And he's, so, so the... The owner, the master, says, you can no longer, you can no longer work for me. I, I, I need you to bring me the books. All right? This guy is going to be out on the streets. And uh, well, let's see what he does next. This is scene two. Uh, and he summoned each one of his master's debtors. This is the manager. And he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? 
And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. All right. Kind of weird. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. And pay attention to verse 8. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Uh, the manager says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do so that I'll be welcomed into homes. But this eternal dwellings, that, that word dwellings is actually a, a different word. And again, uh, lots to talk about there. We'll talk about it in footnotes. Um, it's really cool what Jesus is doing there. But I want to focus on, on some other things this morning. And so we won't spend the time. I'm hoping you're wrestling with the question in your heart right now. Is Jesus praising the steward for being unrighteous? He praised the unrighteous steward... But is he praising the steward for being unrighteous? Because those are different questions. Those are different questions. You know, in the military, we had this saying, if, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, and I lived according to that standard in my military career. I was always looking for an advantage. I mean, in war, you, you, you don't want to lose. You don't want to come in second in war. So that was my theory. Like, do whatever you need to do. Like, don't get caught. <laughs> but does that work in God's kingdom? And I think, I think you guys know the character of Jesus enough to know that he's not praising the steward for being unrighteous. Because that's not within the character of God. In fact, when he, when he says, uh, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they'll receive you into eternal dwellings. His, in, the, in the Hebrew, if you understand what Jesus is saying there, what, how, you, how the words changed and, and, the, and the connection of those words you would know that Jesus is not praising the steward for being unrighteous. This is still a, a conversation about eternity. This is still a spiritual conversation. So we'll talk about that. And there's some things to unpack there in order to get there. But this is still like Jesus is, hasn't lost his mind. All right. He hasn't lost his mind. What we have to understand is that when Jesus gives a parable, 
more often than not, there's only one righteous person within the parable. So calling him an unrighteous steward, he could have just said steward. He's just making it really clear which one's righteous and which one's unrighteous. By the way, this is connected to an Old Testament story. And we'll talk about that in footnotes. This footnotes is going to be a lot of fun. It, this is an inverse of another story in the book of Genesis. It's an inverse. It's fascinating what Jesus is doing here. Told you it's complicated. Kent Bailey. Guy's cool. Um, there's only one, only the, only the owner, only the master is the righteous one. He represents God. In, in Psalms 14, David says this, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There's no one who does good. Now, if you just read that first verse, you're going, okay, so yep, all the non-believers, they're unrighteous. That makes sense. But David goes on to say, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understand who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Guys, if we're honest with ourselves, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would not be pursuing righteousness. I would have no desire to pursue righteousness on my, on my own. I need God's work in my life. He had to pursue me. He chased me down. It didn't work the other way. I was not looking for him. I was looking to fulfill myself through my own means. I was looking to satisfy my own desires this is a little hot, if you're wondering. Um, I was looking to fulfill my own desires, and, and God chased after me. And so in this parable, when, when it looks like God is celebrating, clapping, excited for what the unrighteous steward has done, it seems confusing. But the only righteous one in the story is the master. Everybody else is, I mean, if I called you up, I'm like, hey, how much do you owe the whatever, whatever business I'm, and, and, you, and you hold out your bill and you go, well, my bill is, for 50, it's a hundred bucks, right? And I'm like, quick, write on your bill, 50. Now you don't know that I've been fired or demoted, but why would I ask you to write on your own bill of what you owe the guy that I work for? I mean, weren't they all complicit in this? 
Wasn't everybody complicit in this story except for the master? So Jesus is not praising the steward for lying, stealing, cheating. But I think, I believe that the steward accidentally got it right. What is the currency of our, of our father's kingdom? Isn't it reducing debt? Isn't it generosity? Isn't it forgiveness? Forgiving people? My parents, uh, for much of my growing up, um, I mean, my parents from the time I was born until I was into my mid-20s, which I was still growing up well after that, so that's why I say much of my growing up. Uh, my parents were not Christians. But to the outside world, my parents were very respectful. They were very respectable. To the outside world, my parents were very... Uh, prosperous. They were succeeding in everything. Now that was to the outside world. My parents ran their business with godly values, even though they had no desire to pursue God at that point. In fact, they were very bitter towards God, towards Christians, towards the church. But they honored God in the way they did business. Now, in the midst of that, their marriage was falling apart, and they were both alcoholics. And so there was, there was more going on behind the scenes, because you don't show the... Like, my, my parents were functioning alcoholics. They weren't... Authenticity, vulnerability, transparency, that was not part of their vocabulary, because they didn't want to live that out until they came back to Christ. And then they found that authenticity, vulnerability, that was what, that, what brought restoration to their lives. Sometimes we can accidentally get it right because the currency of this kingdom is forgiven debts. And so, and so the master is going... You finally did something right. You finally acted out, maybe even act, even with ulterior motives, you did something right because this was always part of what he valued. His forgiven debts. How much, when the master like honors the changed books, when he honors that, the people that owe him, what's that going to do? Like, oh, we were this close to being in trouble, but, but he honored that. Like, how much more are the people going to love their master because of, their, because of the forgiveness, because their debt was forgiven? But here's what Jesus asks in this parable. 
how shrewd are you when it comes to the kingdom? How tenacious are you when it comes to the kingdom? How bold are you when it comes to the kingdom? Because he says this, the sons of men of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. What are we willing to do for the kingdom? How much effort, how much of our emotional energy, how much of our uh, creativity? I mean, that's a creative solution from the unrighteous steward, right? I mean, he's either going to make this, the boss happy or the people happy, one or the other. Someone's going to receive him into, this, into their home. How shrewd are we willing to be towards the kingdom? Again, like I said, just so we know that Jesus has not lost his mind here, he goes on in Luke 16 and says this, He who is faithful in very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in the very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of your unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you've been, if not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own. Uh, now, he hasn't lost his mind, but he's using a chiasm to talk about this. So we'll have to break this down a little bit. And then he has a second chiasm that says this, no servant can serve two masters for either he hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And again, this, this particular line here connects back to that Old Testament story. We'll talk about that. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. Uh, the, uh, the chiasm in 13, by the way, basically says this. What is God looking for out of us? Love and devotion when it comes to our stewardship. He wants to be the one that's loved and devoted to when we are stewarding what he has given us. But let's look at this chiasm verses 10 through 12. And we got this picture. So he says that uh, if you're faithful with little, you can be faithful with much. I think we all understand this. We, we understand this with kids. When, when kids are growing up, we start to give them responsibility. We don't give them a lot of responsibility. We don't hand them the keys to the car. Not when they're two. Sometimes not when they're 21. Joy just walked in. I just had to say that. Um, we know this is true at work. If you're faithful with a little bit, we're going to start giving you more responsibility. The, the, the folks that are not responsible with a little bit, 
we don't give them more responsibility. This is just a truism. If you're unfaithful with another, so we're going to just look at these two outside, the, the two A's. If you're unfaithful with another's, who's going to give you your own? I, I think in terms of uh, someone who has a poor rental history, they don't. They don't pay on time. They don't clean the place. They don't take care of it. it it's always falling apart. How often do, do the people that are unfaithful with someone else's home end up homeowners? They become lifelong renters. If, if you're unfaithful with another's property, who's going to give you your own? Uh, an employee. An employee who's lazy and late. Right? They're wasteful. If they're that way for you as the boss, what are they going to do when they own their own business? Now, I've seen some businesses like that. No wonder so many fail, right? New businesses. See, some of us think, you know, you're going to have to, you got to give me more. I'm, I, have, I have more in me. You're going to have to just give me more and trust that, I, that I'm going to follow through. No. No, you earned that right. And with God, the same is true. You earn the right to have more responsibility. You earn the right to be entrusted with more. My dad would say this about ministry. Why would God send people to you if you're not going to take care of them? Why would he do that? So that's the outside of the chiasm. Let's look at the inside of the chiasm. Look at the next picture. He says, if you're going to be unrighteous with a little you'll end up being unrighteous with a lot. Unrighteousness grows. Galatians says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Guys, when we fool around with just a little bit of unrighteousness, when we fool around with just a little bit, you know, we just, we fudge numbers just a little bit on our taxes, we... We tell, tell a little white lie to our boss. We, you know, our online viewing just has a little bit too much skin in it. If you know what I'm trying to say there. The things that we like to take in for entertainment, just, just a, you know, a little bit over the edge. It doesn't stay there. It doesn't stay there. It, it will always grow. It will always grow. If you're unrighteous with little, we, you will eventually be unrighteous with much. This sounds like Jesus, right? Does this sound like Jesus' teachings to us? Next one. If you're unfaithful with the unrighteous mammon, unrighteous wealth, you will eventually be 
unfaithful with true riches. Um, uh, first of all, I think it's ironic that uh, the, what's the most, what's the dirtiest thing that you handle almost every day of your life? It's, it, it's, it's money. We think in terms of toilets and things like that. That's like fifth on the list. Uh, your cell phone, your computer keyboard, and your light switches will beat your toilet as far as dirtiness every time. If you're OCD, don't think about that too much. But unfaithful, unfaithfulness with unrighteous wealth will impact our stewardship every time. I think in terms of uh, religious leaders, how many times have we seen a religious leader uh, fall from grace, as we like to call it? Um, we could call it sin. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, destroy their reputation along with others. Uh, there's two things that typically go along with, with a religious leader uh, just making a complete ass out of themselves. I'll just say it that way. Um, one is sexually and, and almost hand-in-hand hand is money. They almost work hand-in-hand. Hand. If it's true of a religious leader, why would it be less true of us? This parable is not just for, for the Robs and the Logans of the world. Although it is, it is. We have to pay attention to these things. Our neighbors, our friends, those close to us, they are watching us. And if we're unfaithful with the way we handle money, the way we deal with our taxes, the way we pay for things, if we're unfaithful with our Storeship of our resources is going to impact. It's going to impact our witness to the world. And it's going to impact our stewardship of the gospel. And we have to know that's true. We have to know that's true. And so, and so all the things that the Bible says about the way we mismanage finances... From, from lying, stealing, cheating to, 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 to hoarding. I think all those things play into this conversation. All these things play in. And then Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Why? Because we need to have a single eye. We have to have one focus. If we're trying to serve money, you know what we're really serving? Ourselves. We've placed ourselves on the throne. And we got to wrestle with, not if we're doing that, but in what ways do I have a tendency to do that? Because it will impact our stewardship of the gospel. See, we're called to just... One focus. We're called to just 
one kingdom. We're called to just one Lord. Just one master. See, guys, our God should get our first fruits, not our leftovers. If we said in the very first sermon, you know, that, that we'll talk about tithing, and I gave you an opportunity to groan. And then I really haven't said much about tithing up until just this moment. Saving the best for last. Between you and God, you determine how much you should tithe. You have that conversation with God. You don't need to have that conversation with me. Some of you have tried. Um, I, I'm willing to journey with you, but I'm not, I'm not the master. But when you tithe, something very clear in the scriptures is it's your first fruits. The when do you tithe? What do you tithe on? Like that's, we could debate that all day long. How we tithe? First fruits. Anything else is leftovers. Does God get your first fruits? Does God get your first fruits? If you're doing that, then you're probably not serving money. You're probably not divided. You probably don't have an evil eye in that area. If you're giving him your leftovers, then there's probably something wrong. There's something about your relationship with the Lord. It's a heart issue that God wants to speak into because he loves you. Because he wants you to have a whole heart. For me, tithing is about relationship with God first and foremost and always. Any other conversation about tithing it's just noise. All right. Soft bo- soapbox put away. <laughs> Guys, if we steward the gospel first, if we live for his kingdom first, the rest of it works its way, works itself out. And that's the call. And it's scary when we start. I know, I remember like the, the emotion. I don't know if I felt any more emotional than, than, than the first time I tithed because, ugh, like 10%? Let's talk about stewarding the gospel. Talk about something maybe easier to talk about. What does stewarding the gospel look like? I believe there's seven areas. So we'll just talk through these really quick. Number one, being discipled. Every one of us should pursue our own discipleship. I still pursue my own discipleship. 
I am not Jesus. Therefore, I'm not done growing my relationship with Christ. I'm still being discipled. Now, I do that by having uh, guys in my life that are uh, older than me, uh, which is almost all of my life transforming group, <laughs> except for Logan like, and James. Uh, you, you all have wisdom. Um, sometimes I go to other pastors and like, disciple me in this area. I just started a conversation last week with another pastor in town. I'm like, disciple me. I was never really discipled in this area. I want more discipleship. So if you've never been discipled, this is where you start. If you have, this is where you continue. Number two, discipling others. We grow in our understanding of things when we teach it to other people. I think that's one of the reasons why God calls us to discipleship because our comprehension, our understanding has to grow because people that we're training and teaching and discipling will ask us questions. And we're like, oh, <laughs> I've never thought of that question before. Let me get back to you. And the causes go back to, to the people that are discipling us and going, I just got asked this question. Help me. I believe that we're called to make disciples because, one, the person on stage can't do it all. You guys know that. You don't want me to do it all. But two, each one of us, as we disciple, whether it be one person or 10 people, or maybe God will give us influence to, to, to disciple leaders of leaders, and so we have the influence of tens or hundreds or thousands. Like, whatever the case, each of us grows more as we disciples, and, and discipling others is part of making or being discipled. Number three, worship. Uh, in our life-transforming groups, we've been in the book of Psalms. And I'm reading, I always try to read like each book of the Bible, like it's my first time there. I try to approach it like, all right, why is this put, put to paper? Who's the audience? What's the intent of this? And I was thinking about this the other day. When David starts writing the Psalms, we know that he had five books of the Bible, maybe Maybe Joshua and Judges. So maybe seven. Maybe the book of Job. The book of Job is supposed to be uh, one of the oldest books of the Bible. Maybe the oldest. So maybe eight. So, so David has access and the rest of the people have access to eight books of the Bible. And then all of a sudden you get the Psalms. Which is why we why we sang this morning. Without the Psalms, we probably don't know, we probably don't think that, you know what we should do to start our services off? We should sing three songs that celebrates God for his glory. 
We need worship. It's part of our stewardship. I need worship. I need worship beyond Sunday. Because when I worship, I see how big my God is. Like read the Psalms. David could start out angry or frustrated or disenchanted, but he always ends up worshipful at the end because he's approaching his God. When we worship, our problems that are big get diminished because our God who's bigger. Uh, number four, studying scripture. We are to we are called to study. We're, we're called to know the scriptures. We're, we're called to engage with them. Number five, generosity. Generosity is, has always been part of the conversation when it comes to Christians. It's always been part of the kingdom. How generous was God by sending his son? How generous was Jesus by laying down his life? Until we match that generosity, we have more work to do. Uh, number six, service. Did you know that Jesus, before he ever starts talking to the people, he, he heals them? He engages with them? He serves their needs? He asks them, what do you want me to do for you? He invites himself over to dinner Zacchaeus, today I'll eat in your house. Maybe you should try that. Maybe that's your next act of service, inviting yourself to someone else's house. See how that goes. You could do that with Jim Blake. I know she'd take you in. Don't do it with Scott. <laughs> but Jen. And finally, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 10. How will they call on him to save them unless they believe him? And how will they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's not just the pastor's job to share the good news with people. And your testimony is powerful. If God puts someone in your path and, and they've got questions about Jesus, you could, you could believe this, you could trust this. You're the one to have the conversation. Now you might say, I don't have all that figured out yet. Let me come back. That's okay. But, the fact that you're there means you're supposed to be there. All right, some implications. Number one, we all depend on grace. We all depend on grace. Paul says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God now as a result of works so that no one may boast. There's only one righteous one. Now, we get to experience his righteousness when we come to Christ, but we come to Christ the same way. 
and he leads us on a journey of, of becoming righteous, of living righteous, but we're all dependent on grace. Every one of us. 100% true. Number two, integrity matters. Now, when we think about integrity, we, we sometimes think in terms of uh, not lying, not stealing, not cheating. And, uh, and that matches up what Webster has to say. Uh, integrity is a firm adherence to a code, especially moral or artistic values. I was not expecting the artistic values part of that definition, but uh, we know that integrity includes a, a moral code, right? But Webster also says this. Um, it's something with an unimpaired condition. Unimpaired condition. You drive your car down the highway believing that it's unimpaired in its condition. Right? If you thought it was impaired, you would probably not drive down the highway. And then finally, another definition of integrity is the quality or state of being uh, complete or undivided. So integrity has to do with like this moral code, but there's other things, there's other things involved in integrity. And, and integrity is, is more than just that moral code. The chairs that you sit on today, you trusted the integrity of the chair and, and your trust was proven correct. Have you ever sat down on the chair that had lost its integrity and can no longer hold the load that it was created for? All right. We were created to handle the loads of life. But because of our experiences, because of shame, because of, of uh, our sin, because of other people's sin, we're not always able to hand up. We don't stand up to that load. And that's why we choose to lie, steal, cheat. That's why the external world, external world says, oh, they lack integrity. But they're not looking at the heart issues. Integrity matters. And when we lack it, we need it restored. And it's not by us adhering to a code again. I mean, that's part of it, but we need God to heal our hearts. A number of years ago, uh, I took the tires off the car. I was going to swap them out with another set of tires. You know, there were tires already on rims. I didn't like the rims. They were universal rims, which is ultra flaky sometimes. Uh, came with a spacer. It just, I didn't like the setup. And so I put the tires back on and I grabbed an air gun and I just, zzz, 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 you know, put the tire, put the, the bolts back on. Uh, and I ran a mile down the road to Les Schwab. Unfortunately, Les Schwab didn't have rims for my car. those bolts that I put back on the lug nuts that I put on the, on my tires, on my wheels, 
They're designed to be put on at 110 pounds per square inch. And I probably didn't put them on any more than 40 pounds a square inch. Does that matter? It does when you're driving 70 miles per hour down the highway. I had a wheel head off into the center lane and the center medium and just kept going. I'm not sure where it stopped. I never found it because it had lost its integrity. I wasn't operating the device by the way it was created. And so sometimes when we, when we choose not to live as stewards, we lose integrity. We're not living according to our design. We're not functioning the way God created us. And the stresses of life come. And we're no longer able to hold the load that we were created for. Things get worse. The solution is to go back to the creator and say, I'm broken in here. I've lost integrity. I'm not handling this load very well. I'm lying, I'm stealing, I'm using alcohol, I'm using <laughs> pornography for me to cope. I've lost integrity and I need your help. Integrity matters. Neglecting one or more stewardship areas will sabotage your stewardship. The simple fact of neglecting one or more areas will sabotage the other areas. If we ask Dr. Dave, Dave, can I just leave one tooth with tooth decay in my mouth? Can I just ignore that one tooth? I oh, isn't like, yeah, yeah, you can. Should you? No. Because that decay will spread. Have you ever worked on an entire mouth that was full of decay? Yeah. Probably painful to watch and to be part of that. Neglecting one or more stewardship areas will sabotage your, your stewardship. And number four, steward the gospel first. When we were invited into this relationship with Christ, we were invited into a relationship of stewardship. We were called to be disciples, to make disciples. Now, I don't know if that was clearly communicated to you when, when you first came into this relationship. It wasn't for me. Like, I didn't fully grasp it. Um, I was six, so. <laughs> and, and we've all been discipled in different ways and shapes and forms. That's going to... It's not the same as it was 2,000 years ago where people were uh, relatively static in where they lived and worked. They worked in the same town and lived in the same town and same family, didn't really move much more than 50 miles. But it's because of the gospel that we understand these other areas of stewardship. So let's make that our just one focus, our, our first fruits, the first thing that we look at.
So a question I want you to wrestle with as we finish up this, this series is where's your stewardship struggling? And where do you need grace? Where has the pressures of life revealed pain, hurt, brokenness inside your heart, inside your spirit? Where do you need God's redemption, his redemptive work? Let's take some time to think about that. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.